What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Terminator 101. I'm Eddie Green, and whoa, do we have quite an episode coming up for you guys today. Um, this is a particularly exciting one because yesterday I had the chance, I was fortunate enough to have this chance, to talk to Arnold Schwarzenegger's stunt double from 1984 to 1996, Peter Kent. And it was such a fantastic talk. Again, you guys know I don't like to call these interviews. It's too impersonal. I really want these to be conversations. And it was so fascinating. It really was. And more so than other guests, I stumble over some of my words in this particular episode because of the fact that this is this is Peter Kent. He has literally he is the first guest to have hit every single one of the Cameron-directed Terminator films. The Terminator, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and even T2 3D Battle Across Time. He was involved in every production, as well as True Lies and every other Arnold film that you can think of, whether it's Commando, Predator, uh, Kindergarten Cop, Total Recall, Last Action Hero, every one of them. Eraser, Jingle All the Way. Um... So this is a very exciting one. This is so... Get pumped for this one, guys. Because coming up, um, Peter goes in-depth on stuff that you might have heard before. And that's okay. But I think there's some stuff in here that you might not have heard before. At least that I haven't heard before. And we get into some topics um, for, for, for stuff that I don't think he really has the chance to talk to people about. What And it could be... People are not interested in that particular thing, like T2 3D Battle Across Time, but you guys know how much of a fan of that I am. So we get into that, we you know, we touch on the stunt industry as a whole, his thoughts on where it's going, um, you know, we, and we talk towards the end about stuff that has nothing to do with with Terminator and Arnold and and it's all great stuff. It's This is a very exciting episode, and I really hope you guys enjoy it. I know I did. Peter, thank you for coming on. Like I said, you didn't have to. There was no obligation to do it. Um, and, you know, he, he, he's going to Comic Cons and stuff and, you know, charging for his appearance. And he didn't do that here. You know, he just said, yeah, I'll come on and I'll talk. Absolutely. So thank you. That really means a lot coming from a fan of the franchise and of uh you know film in general so thank you um enjoy this one guys here we go after this quick sponsorship peter kent stay tuned we're coming right back peter yeah hey how are you doing tonight i'm good thanks awesome awesome all right i gotta i gotta collect myself here this is pretty cool um uh so for everybody listening, I just wanted to kind of just give a quick introduction here. Um, I am talking to Peter Kent, and uh, Peter was Arnold's official stunt double from 1984 to 1996. And we're going to get into uh, some pretty interesting stuff here. But uh, before we do that, um, I just wanted to thank you for coming on because uh, it means a lot to me and had on prior as well as you, you add so much validity to this podcast. So it means a lot to me. So um, just coming from a Terminator fan and, <laughs> you know, 
I mean, it, it, it really does mean a lot. So um, give me a, before we get into the questions that I'm just going to consistently throw at you, but what got you into the stunt industry and specifically, how did you even become Arnold's official stunt double? Like, how did that shape? Uh, well, um, I've repeated the story quite a few times, but I'll do it again. Um, so I was <laughs> sorry. No, no problem. Um, I could recite it by memory and uh, off the top of my head. I uh, actually lived in Vancouver and Victoria, which is in Canada, uh, up until about 19, late 83. And for whatever reason, I just got a wild desire to go to L.A. and, you know, try my um, try my hand at it somewhat naively, obviously. Um, so I was living in the YMCA on Hollywood Boulevard and I found myself a little casting agency. Uh, and I mean little. Um, and sent out a photo and one day they left a message for me at the front desk and they said you know we're casting uh, the background for this movie called the terminator and james cameron has seen your photo that you sent us and by photo i mean i sent in a polaroid <laughs> and uh they um they said you know walk across the street basically to abc television center on romaine avenue which was very close to where i was staying and i uh, walked in there and jim was happened to be passing from one office to another and saw me and he said oh you're here for the terminator thing right and i'm like yeah and he said well you look a lot like arnold you, you know great great height and, and initially they wanted me to be there for a photo double and for standing in under the lighting uh, there was no mention of stunts until cameron said you know great to he turned to donna smith who was the production coordinator and said great sign him up and uh, then he stopped and looked back at me and he said you've done stunts before right and i thought um that perhaps the other job, which I didn't have a job at that time, perhaps the other job of stand-in and photo double uh, hinged upon my saying yes to doing stunts. So I nodded and said yes. And Jim said, terrific, sign him up, great. You're, 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 that's, you got the jobs. Wow, okay. And so in that, in that film, The Terminator, where can, for people who are probably not privy to it, just a, like off the top of your head, like one scene that you know people can look at and that's you. Like what's the scene that sticks out in your mind oh, that you remember the most? All kinds of stuff. There's, uh, there's shooting pieces in there. There's uh, some of the fight pieces in, um, in the mill, uh, it, it, yeah, the earlier pieces. Um, uh, the piece where he comes into the motel and you see Terminator vision and the gun is in my hand. Um, and he opens fire through the walls. The uh, the whole shootout within the um, the police station. Uh, there's a lot of POV over my shoulder and stuff like that. So uh, some of the motorcycle bits and pieces in there. It's sort of interspersed throughout the entire picture. It, okay, and it, it's funny because Jim just basically said to me, you know, I got to the set first day, and my first actual part of the job was. Uh, he was. He said, "Jump in that police car over there in the underground parking lot at the Department of Water and Power." When he's first chasing after Sarah and uh, Reese, and they're hiding in the car talking, and Reese is trying to convince her that he's from the future. And then the Terminator shows up in the cop car, and uh, Jim just said, "Get in that car, drive across here, pull a shotgun out the window, and start shooting." And that was my my first experience with stunts, and I was like, "Well, I can, yeah, sure, I can do that. That sounds great." So. What fascinates me about about what you just said is like the police station shootout and you're kind of interspersed throughout that. So were you utilized because Arnold was not physically able to 
be there or was it more of like they just didn't feel like it was particularly safe or they wanted to use a real gun or there was a combination of a whole lot of things for the police station piece um what was happening in that was if you remember back those offices uh, those cubicles had glass dividers in them uh and so when he opened fire with the with the machine pistol with the uzi um, there was an effects guy standing off to my side who was firing steel bullets, uh, you know, steelies through an air rifle, a very powerful air rifle that had a, a scuba tank attached to it. So those, if you were hit with one of those things, it would probably kill you. Um, and so then there was also a ton wow. of flying glass. And so th- that was the reasoning behind that. And some of the other stuff, yes, was just, you know, for convenience sake, they, uh, the Arnold wasn't there or it was late or they had worked him past his uh, deadline for time. And so they would let him go and they'd use me because uh, get this, they had me on that show at $40 a day flat. I was non-union. The show was non-union. And so they paid me 40 bucks a day flat. And believe me, they worked me sometimes, you know, 20, almost 24 hours. They would have me sleep. I would sleep in my trailer, my little cubicle on the set and, uh, and not even go home. Just wake up the next morning, wash my face in the makeup sink and go back to work. Wow. And, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was, was Cameron there all the time or was it like second unit or? It was a combination of all of those things. It was uh, most of the time Jim was around. Yeah. Cause he was a very much a stickler for hands-on. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. That's what I wanted to hear. Like I didn't want to hear that. Oh yeah. He was just kind of, you know, getting a hamburger and. Oh no. You, he, yeah, okay, I, awesome. you know, I've worked with him three times. I did Terminator and then Terminator two and then true lies. Uh, and I have to tell you, Jim is not one of those guys to go away and let somebody else do his shit for him. He's, he's the guy that has to be there for every single beat of the movie. Cause they're, you know, they're all very close to his heart. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So on that project, obviously something stuck to, to Arnold, because I assume that from that point on, he kind of, he, he recommended you, right? Like he wanted you back. Well, what happened actually was uh, we parted ways on that, and I have a photo that he signed for me. Um, and at the end of that movie, we kind of parted ways, and I was quite sad because we'd grown to kind of, you know, in my estimation anyway, we'd become friends. Uh, and I was I trained at the gym with him. Uh, as soon as he, you know, we became friends on that show, I started working out at the gym with him almost every day. And I think I'm one of the few guys that can say after 15 years, of, you know, I trained with him literally every day for 15 years. Um, but sorry, so... Um, I went on to do a little movie, a horror film cult classic called Reanimator. Um, And uh, if anybody remembers that, I was the first corpse to come to life and sort of illustrate what the serum does and with some serious mayhem biting fingers off and all that stuff. And then uh, right after I finished that movie, uh, I was kind of sitting around feeling sorry for myself. And I got a call from Arnold and he said, I have this script, Peter, it's called Commando. You should come over here. And we, yes. yeah, and, and we sit and, and read the script here and, uh, and we talk about it and you come and work with me again. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. And, and that one, basically I got, a, I was, I was then actually hired as a, um, uh, union background. Um, and I, but I still did stunts, you know, here and there throughout that picture as well. So, um, you know, a little boost in pay and oh, got paid overtime. And, you know, and it gradually just went from there. I mean, we, we sort of had this rapport and so it kept building. And then every show he then, after that, I think he had me put in his rider. So literally whenever he worked, I worked. Okay. And uh, just quickly going back to the Terminator and then we'll move on. Um, 
I actually talked to uh, Marianne Muller Liley, who was the actress who played uh, the wrong Sarah Connor, the the, the one that Arnold uh, kills. Yeah. Did you um did did you have any scenes with her? With Mary, or was that all Arnold? Uh, no, it was all Arnold. No, there was no piece of me in there because that reveal when the door opens right is right on his face. Um, so, but I I was there. So I remember quite well that location. In fact, I have a photo taken by the set photographer of the entire cast and crew sitting on the front porch of that house. Okay. Wow. Ah, it, it, what's so cool is with Marianne and now with you, it's, you know, you've told these stories a thousand times and, but it's, it, it's so refreshing to hear it. It's, uh, like for me personally, it's so refreshing to hear it because it's so insane to think that at that time, nobody knew what this thing was going to be. Am I correct? Like there was no thing on the set where people were like, Oh yeah, this is going to be a classic. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to counter that with this. I remember one night when we were actually all uh, sitting, I forget where we were now. It was some, it was some location outside of town a bit. Uh, there was myself, um, there was uh, uh, Michael Bean, Linda, uh, her stand-in, our hairdresser, Peter Tothpaul, and a few other people sitting there. And we were playing cards, and it was probably about 4 o'clock in the morning. And somebody brought it up and said, you know, I think this is going to be a great film. Um, but, you know, in, and I'm just saying that in hindsight, because it was more than that, right? It was it was considered and is considered groundbreaking for that genre and all of that. But um, that was the, I, I do remember that because of what followed eventually. OK, oh, wow. That, it's just that's it, it truly is amazing. And I mean, look at what happened from that film. You had a because let's assume that let's assume that the Terminator didn't work and it was a, it was a box office failure and people trashed it. Do you think that you would have had a continued career in stunts or do you think that that would have disheartened you to the point where you would have been like, I got to try something else here? Um, well, I, yeah, I think if it, if it had failed, I guess Arnold would have moved on to something else. I don't know if he ever would have called me again. You know, it, there's, there's a lot of ifs and, and possibilities mixed into that, that sort of concept. So it's hard to say. Um, I literally never went into this with any intent of doing stunts. I went down there as an actor. My background actually was theater. I had done Shakespeare uh, in Canada. Um, I came from, you know, I, I just wanted to get into the film industry, quote unquote, and, and sort of hopefully uh, initially it, my, my desire was to come in as an actor. And I have 185 credits as an actor. Um, so, you know, I, I eventually got there, but I took kind of a circuitous route through uh, stunts and, and all sorts of other things. Um, so I, I didn't come at it from a standpoint of I was really desirous of becoming a stuntman. It just sort of that's how it evolved. So would you would you have like if you could go back in time, would you have preferred it stay that route or would you really wanted like to have explored more of your acting ability? Buddy, because, I, would, I mean, I wouldn't change a thing. Awesome. I mean, right. Like seriously, because that's the thing. I mean, it, it, it's, it's easy to look back in hindsight, but I mean, you are where you are today and we have to give credit where credit is due because of, I believe, that film and um, 
it's just, it, it, it's fascinating stuff to think about. But um, so from, from, from Terminator to all of his other films, you're, you're involved in all of those. You also said that you worked with uh, uh, Cameron three other times. Did I also thought that you worked with him on uh, the Universal Studios attraction? I did. T2 3D. Yeah, I, I forget that, but I mean, it wasn't what you'd call basically a quote-unquote film. It was, you know, video. It was snippets that were used for the attraction. I did the. I recreated the bike jump uh, for that show at uh, Digital Domain, which was what Jim had you know, built to suffice his needs from that he, stuff that he couldn't get from ILM or whoever else uh, when we were doing the first Terminator. And then, you know, he realized that when he was going to do T2, he was going to have to uh, get substantially more into the CG. And, and the funny part, uh, I'll follow up with that. The funny part of that was that when he passed the script around, and I know this because he told me later on that when he was sending the script out there, he was getting responses from his effects people that were coming back, these different companies saying, we can't do this. Uh, no, we can't do that. And Jim just said, okay, fine, I'm moving on. And it got to a point where he literally he had talked to almost everybody out there and, and was literally saying, if you want the job, you've got to come up with a way to make these shots work for me until finally that's, you know, he found the, the group that could do that between Winston's effects and between ILM and a few other people, he got what he wanted. But a lot of people, we went through a lot of, uh, a lot of chafe to get at the wheat. When you say bike jump, because I've, I'm a big fan. Like I'm literally right now I'm wearing my Terminator two 3d hat that I got at universal um, because I live in Florida. So this is obviously the, the original location for that attraction. Um, when you say the bike jump, are you talking about when they initially go into the screen? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That wasn't like, I had no idea that that was an actual stunt. Like I thought that that was all, all visual effects. Uh, it was, it was done on a green screen, but we had to fly the bike and we had to, we had to actually do that. We did it in, uh, in the digital domain, uh, state soundstage but it was done on green screen and and literally flown on green screen okay okay well plus also when that happened i mean in the actual attraction there was a lot of smoke and stuff coming up from under the ground so it kind of blurred the screen a little bit so right. by the time the smoke cleared i think that that like the effect of it actually um transitioning into arnold and eddie were um was like complete so it, it it was a little hard to decipher which is why i'm shocked that that was an actual stunt that was yeah. performed well it, and it could have been the day that arnold wasn't available to do it himself i don't know uh you you've got one up on me because i never did get to see the show i went actually to uh california recently and took the kids there and they you know as you know they've taken that show away from universal studios so uh i, I, know. I, I never uh, did get to see the final product of it all or, or be part of it Oh, it's such a shame. Uh, I mean, specifically for Hollywood, because it got replaced by Despicable Me. And I mean, that's just atrocious, in my opinion. <laughs> but over here in Orlando, it has also been taken out, but we don't know what's replacing it yet. There's been no confirmation, but um, it's still going on in Japan. So if you can get over to Japan. I'm, um, I'm hoping to be there in April for the Tokyo Comic Con. They've invited me over there. There you go. I mean, go to Universal Studios in Japan and you can uh, you can experience it. I'm not sure how that works. I don't know if it's that's interesting to me about how they would do that. Like if they have American actors doing it or um, I would think. But anyways. Huh? What'd you say? 
Sorry, no, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it is a shame that 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 attraction got taken out. But um, I know I'm kind of jumbling all over the place here. It's just it, it's seriously because that I'm just like taken aback by the fact that we're even on the same connection here. So if I'm stumbling over words, I apologize. But um, no problem. Terminator Two, obviously, that's that's arguably the standout in your in your stunt career, right? That's the one that I mean everybody looks at and that's the one that people think is the masterpiece. I personally think the first film is the better film, but um, talk to me a little bit about, and, and you've talked about this before, but just talk as much as you'd like about what was that like when you came back? I mean, obviously by that point, the first film seeped into the culture and became what it is now today. So there was a lot riding on this film. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it started out with rumbling. Uh, I remember Arnold saying, you know, that he had been asked to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, okay, that's interesting. Because we, you know, Coralco was putting it together at that time. And we had done Total Recall with, with Andy and Mario Casar. And, um, and so Coralco was involved in that to some degree. Um, and then uh, Jim actually called me up and told me himself and Arnold, Arnold told me, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. And then Jim called me and said, listen, there's a lot of stuff in here. I'd like, I have a lot of work for you. Um, and I want to put you to work and I need you to read the script and I need you to come in and look at the storyboards. Uh, and I need you to, you know, discuss with them about the motorcycle and all that. So I, I went in first and grabbed the script and looked at some of the storyboards, which were amazing. And it's too bad they aren't featured somewhere because they were uh, phenomenal. Uh, it should have made a book out of them. Um, but anyway, so he said, you know, here, read the script. So I read it. I came back and I said, you know, fabulous story. Nine, and, and, and I can see some of the stuff in my head. I said, but what about the bike? What are you planning on using for this bike? Is it a Husqvarna? Is it a, you know, is it what kind of a dirt bike is? It? He goes, no, 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 it's a Harley. And he said this with, you know, this absolute straight face. And so I was like, okay, I don't know how the hell we plan on it. He goes, don't worry, it'll get done. Um, and so, you know, that... <laughs> in typical gym fashion it'll get done you just say i want this do it and that's how it happens so you know then we went out with the drivers and uh, the their five harleys came in and we test drove some of those and they you know they proved to be pretty slow um for the stuff that we needed done the chase scenes and stuff so we had them jetted and some carbs uh tweaked and uh exhaust and some valve work done to be able to get a little more juice out of them and, uh, you know, it was, I think pre-pro on that show, pre-production was probably about three months, a little bit more, I think, uh, because Stan Winston also was involved extensively. And, you know, I had become pretty good friends with Stan. I used to go over and work out with him in his shop because he had a gym set up in there. Um, and, uh, you know, so we just it basically started coming together. And then another day, Jim called me up and said, by the way, I found this kid because for the longest time he was looking for the kid, which, of course, turned out to be Eddie. Um, but he was looking for this kid and couldn't find him anywhere. I remember him going through reams of young actors in Hollywood, you know, coming in, everybody wanted to play this role and he couldn't find anybody. He said for him was natural enough. And then one day he said, I found this kid. I was, uh, I drove by the, um, Pasadena, uh, youth club or whatever it was boys club. And there was a kid out there playing basketball. He goes, and I sat and watched him for a while. And then I went over and talked to him and I just came away and I felt like that's the kid. And he said, and I need you to work with him because he's not an actor. And I, he said, well, Arnold isn't available right now to do any of that stuff. He's got other things going on with his business and stuff. So can you read with him? 
because I'm, you know, my came from an acting background. Can you read with him and rehearse? And I said, sure, I'll do that. Um, and so I did. I met with Eddie in, in this in the soundstage there, and we sat and went over the script and the dialogue. And I came away thinking to myself, my God, this kid's terrible. What's Jim thinking? <laughs> and what happened, lo and behold, though, was the day one of shooting with Eddie, all of a sudden this other character, the character came out of him. And I was just, I, I mean, that's what Jim saw somehow. I don't know how, but he did. Because uh, I, I stepped back and I was just like, where did this come from? I didn't see any of that. In all the rehearsals I did with him and the reading of the dialogue and everything, I never saw, uh, I never saw the kid, the, you know, the real, the actor, the, the, the character on screen until all of a sudden the camera went on. Um, but somehow I guess Jim had seen that. Um, you know, so that's, that's that piece anyway. Wow. That is, that, like, that is really fascinating because, yeah, I mean, that was his first film. So he's just kind of living his life and all of a sudden dragged into this, this world, like this whirlwind of, of, of a film production and, and whatnot. So, um, and plus, of course, everybody knows the, like the whole thing with like his voice was going through because yeah. he was going well, through you puberty. Can hear, you can hear certain pieces in there when he's yelling and it, his voice cracks. Yeah. Which was good. You know, it added to the, it added flavor to the character. Um, yeah, but he was a, he was a, actually a fairly quick study. But I was just quite shocked that this, you know, he morphed into the character so well when the cameras went on and they said action. Suddenly there he was. Um, but I guess Jim, you know, Jim saw that in him somehow. Incredible, incredible. So with Terminator 2, because we all know uh, in 2017 um, was when they re-released it into 3D and a lot of fans, myself included, we had an issue with that uh, re-release and I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but when they re-released it, they converted the entire film to 3D, but they also went back into the film and they digitally fixed certain scenes mm -hmm. where you could tell that it wasn't Arnold. Yeah. And the motorcycle jump in particular. Yeah. And for me, and, and I'm also going to ask you that became a part of the identity of the film. So you can look at it as, yes, it's a film error. It's a, it's something that, maybe someone didn't catch in the editing room or they, they didn't have the ability that, to well, fix yeah, it. That's in the what it, is. It, it stems from back in the day. So literally I was the first actor basically in the industry to wear a mask that emulated, you know, the guy I was doubling. Uh, it was a, a mold of Arnold's face and mine, the sum and the difference of the two. And it spent, it took about five hours to glue it on. I remember the first time it was, probably took about seven hours to glue it on. And I was sitting there hating the whole concept because it was so uncomfortable. And it was when we were shooting at Janelle and Todd's house and, uh, and uh, on the radio after the makeup was put on, he called out, uh, the, the makeup artist Jeff Don called out on the radio to Jim and said, I, I think we're done. And, our, and um, uh, Jim said, okay, put him on the bike. Peter, jump on the bike, drive by the front of the house. I'll leave camera for a minute and I'll walk outside and watch you drive by and we'll see if it works. And I'm like praying to myself, please don't work. Please don't work because I don't want to wear this shit forever. <laughs> and uh, so I jumped on the Harley, fired it up and roared past the house. And as I was going past the edge of the house, he put up his thumbs and I was like, oh, God damn it. Um, <laughs> and that was it. I, I wore it 66 consecutive days. So you have to understand that <clears throat> that mask 
was as close in technology as they could get back then. Uh, they didn't have the, uh, they didn't really have the tracking down, right, to be able to put Arnold's face over mine digitally until when they got the chance to redo all that. Um, so that's what they, you know, they set out to kind of correct that, what they assumed, I guess Jim assumed was somewhat of a flaw in that the mask didn't totally look 100% like Arnold. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day, I don't have a problem with that. I can understand as a perfectionist that Jim is that he wanted to do that to sort of clean up what he couldn't fix back then uh, in 92. But, um, you know, I, my work stands. I know what I did. I think everybody pretty much does because they've seen the original and I've done thousands of interviews about it. So I, I don't have an issue with it. Um, it you know, it, at the end of the day, it was his picture and, and his money and he was entitled to do whatever he wanted to with it. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it, it's sort of like a like a like a a flip of a coin because on one side I understand that yes, he is a perfectionist. We all totally understand that, and that's awesome, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so like passionate just about his work. Um, but the thing that is so fun about that is I grew up with Terminator Two. That was the first Terminator film I saw before the first movie, and you you kind of identify something like that with the film, right? So it's, okay, that's an error, but it's not an error because it does look like Arnold. So I can look past that. And then come 2017, I'm sitting in the theater and I'm like, whoa, 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 hold up. That yeah, I know there's, out of it. there's a lot of purists out there like yourselves that, like yourself that, that felt offended that he would, that he would do that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, and, and there's a lot of other pieces. Like when I come out, I don't know if he's done it to the piece where I come out of the tunnel on the bike with the, with, uh, with the big explosion behind me. I don't know if you I don't recall cause I haven't seen the, the 3d version of it. So I don't recall. I think some other, uh, somebody who interviewed me once said that they had, I don't remember, but, um, that, cause that was myself and, uh, and, um, another young guy. I don't actually Tommy, uh, uh what was his name? Bill, uh, Bobby Porter. He, who was a very small guy. He was actually probably in his late 40s, but he was a very tiny guy who doubled kids. Um, so, you know, there's other scenes in there where I, where I wasn't pulled out of it uh, with the mask on, like the big fight in the mall where I went through the window uh, and the fight in the, um, in the steel plant um, where I'm fighting, where he's, you know, they're throwing each other back and forth into the machinery. That was actually Jack Gill and myself, the stunt double for Robert Patrick. Yes. And oh man, talk about like a great effect of blending CGI and the fact that he wore like a suit that emulated this, like the, the, the liquid metal and it, and it comes across so fluidly that you don't even know that it's a, physical person wearing a physical liquid metal suit and it's so seamless it's it's it, it's so awesome we did the we spent a lot of time working on that we had to we actually we actually did the fight first the stunt people uh and then we had and then arnold and and uh robert patrick watched what we did and then they went in and did the pieces where absolutely you had to see their faces they didn't do the whole fight they just did the pieces like where they made contact and it was a shot over the shoulder and you saw arnold's face and then the other piece the turnaround where you saw robert's face um and so what they were able to do was use the stunt people's backs and then the you know then the reveal shots of the actors 
to fill in the, the gaps. Just hearing you talk about this, like, oh my gosh, you lived this. This is insane. I'll like... tell you one piece I almost didn't live. I opened my big mouth when, when, uh, when the, Robert's character goes berserk with this, the steel crowbar and starts to beat Arnold's character down on the ground. Um, what we did was we had, uh, obviously we didn't use a crowbar cause that wouldn't have been too good for me, but we, <laughs> we got Robert, <laughs> we got Robert a piece of Oak, like a big staff made of Oak. Uh, so it didn't shake too much, you know, it, it kind of kept its form. And so I put on everything I had in my stunt bag as far as pads went. And then I said to, uh, I, I said, you know, Robert, let's just get this in one take, just go for it. And that, I, I regretted opening my mouth and saying that almost instantly. Because Robert went at me with a vengeance and uh, just was just beating the crap out of me on the ground. And I literally, the next day, even through the thick pads that I had on, had black and blue huge welts across my chest and shoulders because he just laid into me savagely. <laughs> I guess the adrenaline turned on. And, you know, it, you look at it on film and it looks pretty brutal. And, you know, when you realize that it's actually me laying on the ground, yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those things where I instantly went, why the hell did I say that? <laughs> so that is like it was one take and that's the take in the film it is yeah that was one take and i'm i'm really really glad it was one take because i don't think i wanted to go through another one of those he just went berserk he just laid right into me you know and then the the piece where i got thrown off onto the uh, he, i land on the deck down below uh the arm was ripped off at that point if you recall because arnold had been tangled up in the gears of the machine um so i yes. had to actually go off that um we threw a dummy first and then the landing piece, uh, which was a closer shot was actually me and a landing on my back with my arm tucked behind my back, which was not really comfortable. I have to say, but you know, that's, Insane. that's what happens when you, when you do that, kind of, when you put up your hand to do stunts, you just have to go, okay, you know, I know this is going to hurt, but I've just got to do it. Now being a stunt person, this is something I'm really fascinated and curious by. Being a stunt person for, in my estimation, the greatest action star of all time, what's interesting about what I just said is a vast majority of that is to your credit because you are doing the stuff that he either doesn't want to do or that someone else deemed too, too whatever, too dangerous or difficult. Does that... when? when you're a stunt person does that take a toll on you because you're realizing wait i'm doing all the work here but <laughs> yeah. i'm not really getting all the credit no you know when you're when you're uh when your actor's getting 20 million and you're getting you know 200 yeah it tends to <laughs> it tends to be uh you know but but i mean that's that's the nature of the game right you know you put your hand up for it you you know what you're getting into you 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 should anyway um and in all honesty, I was always one of the guys, and, and I think it's sort of the credit to why I didn't die doing this over 15 years, because most guys do it for seven and kind of quit or find another job or become a coordinator, it was because I was always very careful and looked at the safety aspects of it, always, um, because I knew I had friends and, and uh, still have friends who, who have been, you know, people have died or been disabled or crippled or whatever, Um and it's just, it's sort of a luck of the draw. I mean, you do, you go out there and you do it over and over and over again on a daily basis, a yearly basis, and pretty soon something catches you. And it's usually those small details that you never would have expected. The thing you think, oh, that, that won't happen. You know, it's, that, that couldn't happen. And uh, Murphy raises his ugly head and suddenly, you know, you're in an ambulance or worse.
Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to understand that for a production company, they're paying an actor $20 million. They cannot risk having him injured and unable to shoot because then suddenly you have to go to completion bond and the insurance company kicks in and they have to pay big bucks to keep that production either going or shut it down. So so do you think, because I'm curious what your opinion about that is, is do you think that anybody is is truly worth $20 million? Or like that's something that is like, I mean, something that you could truly debate is like actors getting paid so much money. And then really at the end of the day, they're probably not doing everything. So are they even worth the $20 million? And I'm not taking anything away from Arnold or, or, or anything like that, but it is a, it's a fascinating topic when you take a step back and you realize the, 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 the differences in pay going on. And it's like, I'll just, I'll just leave that one right there. <laughs> you don't want to say anything. <laughs> what do I need to say? Right. Uh, I, you know, I, I can, it's crazy, you know, well, it's, and it's also crazy what they pay sports figures too. You know, I mean, it, it is, it's crazy. Um, but you know, if, if you're the actor and you're getting paid $20 million, you got to say kudos, you know, if it was me and they offered me 20 million bucks, would I say no, obviously not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, so you got to look at, there's a couple sides to the coin you have to look at. Right. Um, yeah. but at the end of the day, you know, it, it, I understand why they put, you know, why they put stunt people in there. And, and you, I, as a stunt person always realized that you are expendable. I mean, I've seen guys get hurt. I've seen you know people get killed. The movie goes on, right. They can't afford to shut down. And it's like, well, that's awful. Um, you know, who else will fit these clothes? Okay. You, yeah. You know, and, and they carry on. And so for me, that was a, a big um, part of just wanting to make sure that I was safe all the time. I would spend a lot of time. I would never sit in my trailer too much. And, and, you know, especially when it was a big gag, I would be out there watching how it was rigged and how it was put together and what they were doing and what, what materials were being used, all of that, because I knew that basically my butt was hanging on the line. So, um, and I, you know, anybody who ever considers doing stunts, you know, I, I would say that they do the same thing. It's just become one of those things where you really have to watch out for yourself. And speaking of watching out for yourself is in your estimation, the flipping of the semi truck in the film, the, like the, like the most dangerous thing that you did on that project. Well, it, you know, let me break it down into a couple chunks for you. So the piece, um, one of my favorite pieces of the whole film is actually my jump out of the little tiny pickup truck and the run across the back deck up onto the hood of the big rig and blow out the windshield. Um, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, we didn't really get a chance to rehearse it. We were really being pushed for time. Uh, and so normally a gag like that, you'd rehearse the hell out of it and get it right, you know, week and a week in advance, at least before you shoot it. But we didn't, we actually rehearsed it about 40 minutes or so before we shot it. And so we got there and we jumped into the two trucks and we had it, we were pushing it along, uh, across the, well, the area where you see it in the film. And we realized that the, the shake, the, the big truck was pushing the small one um, so hard and so violently that it was shaking so badly that I would not have made it across the back deck of the pickup truck. Um, and so we've settled on a speed which was about almost 60 miles an hour. Uh, and then the shake went away so I could cross the back deck. And, um, but then I, we realized that also if I slipped and fell, you couldn't put a cable on me because it would have just swept me underneath the wheels of the big rig anyway. At least if I fell, I had a chance to sort of kick off and maybe not land on my head on the concrete. 
Um, so, you know, it, it's one of those gags where, like Jim said later on, I believe he said it, it during the making of, the footage from the making of, which he did, uh, you know, when he did the DVD box set, he actually did that about a year later. And he said, I would never do this stunt again with Peter. It was far too dangerous. Um, and, you know, I <laughs> look at that in, in hindsight and go, gee, thanks, Jim. Um, and I remember him coming to me after we got it. And he said, you know, after we did the first rehearsal and we got it right. And, uh, you know, it, uh, Jim said, OK, we're going to break for lunch. And I pulled him aside, uh, which is unusual for a stunt, court, a stunt person to, you know, sort of pull the director aside. And I said, Jim, can we do it now? I really don't want to eat. I said, I got no appetite. Uh, I'm freaking nervous. as <laughs> Well, you might imagine. Uh, can we do it now? And Jim, to his credit, looked at me and he said, you know what? He goes, you pull this off, I'll give you the Brass Balls Award. And he turned to the, to the crew and the ADs and stuff. And he goes, we're taking grace, which means you're taking a half an hour break. Uh, the, the whole crew of 300 got paid extra because we pushed the lunch back um, just so he could give me that shot to just get it done and get it over with. And uh, we got it in two takes. And so I was pretty happy about that, that I, because, you know, the, that's the worst part of the whole thing is the mental. It, you know, once you get ready to do it, you want to just do it. You don't want to have to sit there and think about it too much because that's when shit goes sideways. You sit there thinking and thinking and thinking what could possibly go wrong. And sure enough, you think up something that can make it go wrong. I just want to get out there and do it. So it was great because we just slammed it in two takes, got it done and moved on. And uh, I was very happy about it. And see, exactly. And I think that that's like something that it, if nothing else, just that particular scene, that is worth more than what you said, what you got paid $200. Oh, no, I was joking. I'm just using being metaphoric. Um, Oh, okay. okay. (laughs) I was going to say. No, it was a pretty good payday. But um, yeah, you know, there was some funny pieces in there that no one knows about. The driver, of course, was not... um, Robert Patrick that we did the close-ups on Robert the driver was actually a stunt guy named Jeff Dashnaw and so in the first rehearsal when I ran across I used a rubber gun just in case I dropped it and didn't want to destroy a real one um, and so I never there was nothing to fire so you know Jeff was like we, we got it and we're good to go and so on the real take when I open up with the full clip on the windshield Jeff didn't have earplugs on inside the cab and uh, so we slammed the brakes on and the shot came to an end when they called cut and Jeff stepped out of the truck and he was almost deaf from the concussion inside because it was, you know, a full 20 round clip into the windshield uh, inches away from his face. <laughs> and he was just like shaking his head and his ears were ringing for probably half an hour. Um, and, uh, but the, and the turnover piece on the rig when we actually flipped it, that was comprised. We actually did that a couple of days later. We had a really hard time. We designed a skate to go underneath the rig to make it slide, um, but it wasn't enough to make it tip over. And we repeatedly tried. It was a Friday night, I believe, that we tried multiple times to get the shot, and it wouldn't work. So effects came up with the idea of taking the tank off, uh, opening it up inside and welding in a bunch of rebar and then pouring concrete into it upside down so that when they put the tank back onto the rig, it was top-heavy. Oh my gosh! And then it went, and then it went <laughs> over. Wow! Wow! So, and you're involved in that too, right? Like you're coming up with ways and and you're figuring it out. It's not all just. Well, yeah, it's a it was a whole team effort, right? It's not just one person standing there, but we're all trying to figure out what we can do to make it work. Um, and you know, and when we flipped the rig over, I busted the hell out of my nose against the side of the of the roof of the truck. Um, 
because I forgot I, I was actually cabled to the side of the truck with a dead man and, and just a piece of cable so I wouldn't fly off. So it went from being vertical to laying over on its side. And when it did get that kind of whiplash, I slammed my face into the edge of the, of the uh, roof of the truck and busted my nose quite well. Um, you know, and, and that was one of those things I did, you forget about the fact that your head weighs 45 pounds and there's the thing called inertia. Um, you know, uh, and so that whole sequence uh, the, the, the blowing out the windshield, jumping onto the, grabbing the steering wheel, flipping the, turning the rig, turning it sideways and flipping it over. Then it's sliding is actually probably about five or six different segments all stitched together. And when you look at it in the film, of course, it's seamless, but it was a whole lot of work just to get that, that small piece of probably what a minute of film. Probably, but I mean, something that is embedded in so many people's minds. I mean, that is just, that's seriously one of the most impressive things. And then when you come to realize, and that's something that is consistently becoming less and less with film today. And something that I'm uh, curious to know what your opinion is, is the, the, the practicality of what was done back then. That's the right word. That's the right word. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the key piece. You know, you look, at what's happening nowadays and everything we look at i'll use spider-man for for an inference uh it's a great movie but uh a lot of that stuff is so difficult to do and to do some of it practically they they managed to pull a few practical pieces out of it um but there's so much of it that's on done on the green screen on massive green screen stages and people can tell that when they watch it and i think that's one of the key pieces for terminator 2 is that when you watch that stuff you realize that it is practical, that people are actually doing that, that somebody's out there uh, actually doing those gags, and that's a real truck on a real street. You know, So those pieces are what I think hold up the validity of the film and still make it a popular one today. It's when people watch that and go, that's the real deal. It's not green screen. It's not, you know, some of the stuff looks so bad these days, it looks very flat and very game-like. And I know that a lot of the younger generation have grown up with that, and, and so for them, that's okay. But for me, when I look, when I come from the practical background, I look at those things and I'm just like, eh, that's not what it used to be. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it, it loses its charm. I mean, it, it really does. And I mean, Cameron is a, a pioneer in, in visual effects. And I mean, look at Avatar. But again, it's just, it's something that what it's doing is great. I, I applaud what Avatar accomplished and I'm excited for what he's going to continue to do. But it's just, uh, and, um, well, and also, I, just I, have think, a couple- I think another thing to consider too, um, is the fact that it's all, well, I, I don't say almost, it has become cheaper to shoot on a green screen soundstage without having to go, you know, to a distant location, bring your whole cast and crew and effects team and stuff with you, um, and stunt team and all of that, when you can just do it all on a green screen soundstage and fix the rest and literally fix the rest in post. Um, it's become tons cheaper than actually having to shoot it practically. And so there's a huge draw for that for producers, you know, to be able to go, well, we don't need to spend $10 million to go on location and shoot it practically when we can go to a soundstage and shoot it for $4 million. True. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that, it's that great expression. It's not show art, it's show business. Yeah, and well, yeah, the bottom line is uh, never to be forgotten. Yeah. Um, all right, so we, 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 we've covered the big ones, Terminator and Terminator 2, and as we wind down here, because, I mean, again, you just said uh, 
not too long ago that you were booked for Tokyo to go to a Comic-Con over there. So you had no obligation to accept an invitation to this podcast. So I appreciate every, you know, every second that you're spending here. No problem. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm always happy because I know that there's a lot of people that still are fans of the show. Uh, and even that events, like when I do go to the, the cons like London comic con and, um, and Tokyo, I will do the same as I do a Q and a out there, which is a lot like what we're doing here. I sit there and I just discuss, you know, a lot of the stuff behind the scenes that people never saw when you're doing a show that runs for six months, you see what's on the screen and you do hear about the odd thing that went on behind the screen, but the detail, the fine detail that, that really lets people know how intricate some of the stuff is or how dangerous it is, or even some of the funny stuff that went on, you know, um, it's always fun to share that stuff. Exactly. And I mean, you come across as someone who like the way you describe stuff, it's almost as if you did it yesterday. And this is stuff we're like, this is stuff we're talking about like 10, 20, 30 years ago. It's saying like, it's insane how you can recall all this so well. well. It's sort of, for one, it's sort of vividly stamped in my brain. And even at 61, thank you for saying so, because maybe I won't get Alzheimer's just yet. (laughs) Hopefully not. Like, Definitely not. I like, I really hope not. (laughs) Um, Why did, why was 1996 the last year for not your stunt career, or maybe it was because then I, because as I was going through your IMDB page, it it, it all of a sudden went from stunts to stunt coordinator. Yeah. and, And actor again. Yeah. And back to actor. Um, because of a film called uh, Eraser. Uh, when, uh, if you recall the film Eraser, there's a big scene uh, where Arnold and James Kahn and Vanessa Williams are all doing a big battle on top of an overseas shipping container that's swinging on a gantry crane towards a, a freighter in the harbor. And Arnold at some point takes a, a crowbar, which just happens to be laying around magically, and smashes, <laughs> smashes the gears of the, of the controls, apparently, up above his head, and the box with he and James Caan drops uh, 100 feet to the deck of the, of the, um, of the dock, the wharf, and uh, Vanessa's uh, left hanging up high on the, on the top of the, um, what's left of the crane. So we, somebody said that that gag could be done practically. Um, and here's, here's where practicality and CG... Uh, probably would have been better to defer to the CG model. And in fact, at the end of the day, that's what you're seeing on the screen because all of us were in the hospital. So if you imagine uh, the shipping container, which is three and a half tons, uh, shaped like a shoebox with a wire in each corner, the thing had to drop straight down. And we were on wires on our backs on what's called a descender. And so when the box would drop, we would simultaneously fall with it to about 20 feet from the deck. And then our wires would pull us away. So from a camera looking straight down at that whole scene, because that, that distance between us and the box is compressed, it would look like we had fallen that full hundred feet with the, with the box and landed on the ground. Uh, however, the box had other ideas. The wire cutters didn't all fire at the same time. And so now you have three and a half tons angrily spinning on one axis uh, with the one remaining wire that didn't cut. And as I fell past it, it uh, hit me and knocked me pretty much into the warehouse wall, which was about 100 feet away, and then wound my wire up into the remaining one that was hanging off the box and just kept sucking me in and hitting me and spitting me off and hitting me and spitting me off. So broke a whole bunch of uh, 
various bones, collarbones, scapula, ribs. And so basically, uh, at that point, after as they were driving me to the hospital, and I, you know, the doc said to me, she goes, you're lucky to be alive, that lucky that the vest that you were wearing uh, was on tight enough and that you didn't break your back, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought, you know, maybe I'm done. I've been doing this for 15 years. And, um, you know, sooner or later, you push the envelope, as I always like to say, and it pushes back. So um, and so that at that point, I just said, you know what, I'm, I, I think I'm out of here. Wow, I didn't. I did not know that. I um, I had no clue. And what's I and what's weird about that, and it just goes to show you, like the out of order chronological going on. You had also done Jingle All the Way as well, correct? Yes. And but that film came out after Eraser, so it did. Yeah, um, Arnold actually asked me to come back, and I did. Um, because it was a lot less stuff. Uh, not not so big and not so dangerous gags like there was some wire flying stuff in it you know out in the triple man suit um there was running through the mall there was driving shots and all of that but nothing of the magnitude of that um of that shipping container scene um and so i agreed to do it and then basically that was literally the last okay okay because i had because i had assumed that you had done maybe jingle all the way like right before you did Eraser, but okay, no, you it followed right, it up. It was right after. And then what happened after that was I basically packed up. My mother was, uh, you know, from in Vancouver, my mother was ill. Um, and so I just decided to come back home. And so I sold all my stuff out of LA, sold my house there. And I did come back to, uh, to uh, Vancouver. And uh, immediate upon landing in Vancouver, my I had an agent at that time. I just had sort of met at a party and they put me to work almost instantly, and I was doing TV series after TV series, literally finishing one, my final shot on one, and getting into a van and being taken to the set of another to work on that as an actor. So I thought, you know, this is it, if this is the transition, it seems to be working out pretty good, and I don't have to get beaten to death to do it. Um, and so, it, and it was nice because it took me back to my roots as, as an actor again. So that was uh, it was a nice it was a nice way to to sort of exit one and go back into the other. Okay. Wow. I mean, really, you, you know, I look back at it and I think, what else could I have done? I had nothing to prove to anybody else. I'd done, you know, what I had done over the 15 years still stands and here and there, wherever, you know, whatever I did, where I did it. And so I look at that and I go, okay, fine. It was time to move on. You know, that's kind of how life is when you get to my age now. Um, you look at back at life and it does have its chapters. One closes, another one opens. And couple uh last questions did you was 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 the airplane sequence in eraser was that you as well the 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 piece inside the uh, exterior stuff the the falling with the parachute was uh oh what's his name manos his guy manos he's a professional uh, parachutist uh so he did this all the aerial pieces um, because that's his shtick, right? You, you, when you when you want stuff to do, especially stuff that's very dangerous like that, you, when you want it done right, you pick somebody whose specialty it is. If you want a good fire burn, you pick a guy who literally specializes in fire burns. And so that was Guy's piece. Um, I went, I did all of it right up until uh, where he flies out, and, and you see him sort of hanging on the wing of the plane, and then he flips over about four or five times and goes back and narrowly misses the engine. That's actually me on a green screen soundstage. Uh, on a wire and then that's the last piece of me okay okay um do you have any like 
knowledge of when it's when it's guy falling was he wearing also like prosthetics i think he was yeah uh and you know he had all he had when he didn't have the the parachute pack in hand he actually had a, a separate small drogue chute underneath his shirt just in case something went sideways he was able to you know save himself obviously um but the, he's a you know that's his his specialty is uh, is parachuting i think Incredible. at that point uh, anybody who doubled Arnold and, you know, people came along subsequently after me. Um, the mask was sort of a prerequisite, but I was the first guy to wear it uh, in T2 and wore it 66 consecutive days. And it didn't matter whether your face broke out or whatever. It went back on. Well, and I, and that that's something that I have to say. And just so that you feel like, I mean, not that what I'm saying makes you feel any better, but it's, it's, out of like anybody that else or anybody else that came after you, you are, and to a lot of people, you are like, you are Arnold's double. Like there's, there's, I've talked to Brett Azar uh, on the podcast as well. And he's been like Arnold's body double and, Mm -hmm. and that's great and all, but you are associated because of like the amount of projects that you did with him. Like, I don't think anyone else has that kind of run with with arnold well and and especially you know if you look at some of the the magnitude especially the stuff in t2 and the stuff in in uh and in in the uh, last action hero a bunch of crazy stuff on that too the high work on the ball and you know driving pieces and um yeah anyway it, it was fun i mean i i you know you asked me earlier if i would have changed anything and the answer is still always and always will be no uh because you know it it was it was a great life i had a blast doing it uh, it provided, you know, it provided an adequate living. I can't complain about the money I made. I certainly took a beating to get it, uh, and al- and it almost killed me in the end. But at least I knew when to walk away. I was like, you know what? I really felt like that was God's unsubtle tap on my now severely broken shoulder, uh, and so it's maybe just time to do something else. And 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 I was lucky to have that. That it didn't end up in just you know lights out over. Right, exactly. And, and so um, I'm sitting here, you know, my twin boys of nine years old are sitting upstairs playing and uh, I'm looking at a whole bunch of other things to do with my life. I've been a city councillor. Uh, I'm looking at a real estate career and taking my real estate license right now. I'm producing a couple of uh, things of my own. I run my own stunt school here. Um, um, you know, so I have plenty of irons in the fire. Amazing. And it, I was actually going to bring that up. I was going to bring up the fact that you go from doubling for Arnold to maybe even doubling for his political career. I mean, not governor, but you also fell into the yeah, the political. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, a lot of people drew that parallel. I never did it because he did it. I did it because the town I lived in uh, at the time, well, my term was up last year. I did it because the, the town that I was living in had some significant issues with industry coming in to take over. And uh, there was a lot of frustration in the town. And I felt frustrated that we were trying to stop what, uh, you know what was happening and so I ran and the first time I didn't get in and then I ran again the second time and got in and uh, you know it, it was a fantastic experience uh, it, it was one of those things where it was a challenge mentally not so much physically uh, and and you know overseeing uh, having budgeted films and budgeted uh, tv series uh, you know doing budgetary work for a corporation you know 40 to 100 million dollar corporation which is essentially what a municipality is uh, was a very interesting experience and just, you know, the day to day, I really enjoyed it. 
So a couple last questions and then I'm going to uh, let you go. Um, being, being your background and coming from that and understanding it and respecting it, this has nothing to do with Terminator or like anything. What is your opinion of um, the Jackass television series? Oh Lord, you know, <laughs> like do you like do you look at that and go, why? Yes, exactly. I say a lot more than why. There's a few expletives in there as well. You know, it it sends. I think the part that irritates me the most is the message that it sends, because you get a lot of these young people out there, and you know they just think, oh. You know, it looks, it's cool for one, and it, it looks like these, you know, sure they're getting hurt, but maybe it's fun to get hurt. This whole leaping off of roofs onto tables or doing all kinds of crazy shit like that. You know, there are people, young kids out there who have died from this kind of stuff, trying to emulate what they consider to be their heroes. And, um, you know, it, it's what's funny is my boys, when they were two, they're twins, um, we used to put on, uh, um, epic fails and I've literally taught them it's become a cautionary tale by watching epic fails what not to do we would watch epic fails some guy would wipe out and I'd be what's wrong with that what happened there and they'd be no helmet dad I'm like yep <laughs> you know, what happened there oh this and so they recognize the the fact that 90% of what I'm seeing they're seeing is unsafe and why and I'm like why can't these other people who want to emulate those jackass crew uh, see the same exactly i mean like so do you do you like look at because obviously the star of that is johnny knoxville and then he's gone on to make you know bad grandpa and 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 all that stuff but like do you look at him with like respect or do you look at him with you're not really like you are a stunt person, but you are like, you're just on a totally other place. Well, than no I, don't, one... I really don't call it stunts. It's just, it's stupid stunts it, because a lot of that stuff, you know, has come, I guess if you want to walk, walk away from almost every gag with scars, that's not the mentality of a true stunt person, a stunt person, a real stunt person wants to get in, get the job done, make it look fabulous, get it done in one or two takes and go home, you know, without being, without bleeding. Or without getting scars, not putting, you know, bending over and have someone stick a branding iron on your ass. Or, you know, <laughs> or, or letting a snake bite your Johnson. I don't know. Whatever the crazy stuff they're doing, I, I, just, I, I just shake my head at it and go, you know. I, and I understand they're doing it for effect and for sensationalism. And I think that that's sort of what helped him move on into his career was this was a way to kick the door down and get in. And so there, I have a modicum of respect for that. Uh, but, the, but the whole just the dissemination of that concept that, you know, the crazier sh the shit is, the better it is. Um, and the fact that if you get hurt, that's okay. That's not the part that I like at all. And that's not, and so and that's, that's why I brought it up. That's... that's not being a professional stunt person by any means. Okay. That's why I brought it up. I just wanted your opinion on yeah, that. It's... There you have it now. <laughs> and, and and everybody has it so don't 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 watch that stuff i, I mean i've been guilty I, as i i don't know if anybody ever saw my tv series i created a tv series on discovery channel called stunt dogs d-a-w-g-s i think you can still find episodes of it out there on youtube but in one of my episodes i screamed at the camera because it was on cable and i could get away with saying those expletives i would say don't try this shit at home I'm going to look that up. I had, yeah. yeah I, I, so with that, like. We won a Gemini Award in Canada, which is the highest award in television you can get. 
uh, for it. It's like the Emmy. Uh, yeah, it is basically. Yeah, uh, because we it was basically inside how stunts were done. So we would we would take uh, well-known stunts, for instance, my motorcycle jump on the on the in T two, and try to recreate it and do it better and further or whatever, and then show the audience the mechanics thereof, and and then actually put the whole thing back together as a movie scene and film it, and then show the audience how the finished product looked. Awesome. I'm going to look that up. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. And uh, last question. And this is a, this is a big one. What is your, what, like, I'm a, I'm a film fanatic in general, not, I mean, Terminator is my all time passion, but films in general, I love. So give me one recommendation. What is your favorite movie of all time? Oh God, I don't know. That's really a tough question. You're giving me one. I almost can't answer because there are so many that I hold up as favorites. Um, I mean, you know, if I had to look at one that I worked in, it would definitely be T2. But, you know, you look at Scarface, look at Godfather series, um, look at the first Star Wars, uh, and, you know, and go back and look at some of the old black and white movies. Look at Raging Bull. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's, it's impossible. I, 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 would, I would do so, such a disservice to so many other movies if I picked one. So you don't have a like one that is. I really that don't. Is I don't favorite. have a single film that I could just point out and say that is my all-time favorite. I have the list is probably as long as my arm, if not longer. Okay, but uh, I've seen a like I've seen um, I've seen the first Star Wars. I haven't seen Godfather, believe it or not, oh and God. I know that that's. Well, yeah, it's a master, I know that that's a masterpiece. A I know. I I have uh, <laughs> one of my friends is a. Um, a graduate of film school and uh every time i tell him that he just looks at me and he's like why am i friends with you yeah, well, like <laughs> you gotta watch this so yeah you should you should sit down and create your bucket list and start watching now because there'll be a lot on it yes um all right well peter uh it's it it I always go into these and I call them conversations. I, I don't like to refer to these as interviews because that sounds too impersonal. I like to try to make it as, you know, relaxed as possible. And we're just talking and I always go into them and I'm always nervous. I'm always nervous. It doesn't matter who it is. Today was especially nerve wracking, but <laughs> the second, like maybe a minute into it it, 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 it all relaxed and you are just a class act. And, um, Again, your body of work is astounding. Your your stunt work, your acting career, your political career, it's it's very inspiring. So well, thank you for coming on. Oh, no problem. I appreciate being asked on. And, you know, basically, as I said, you know, life is a series of chapters. And uh, to anybody out there that's listening to this, you know, um, as th- there's a real truth to the axiom that as one door closes, another opens. And I'm just really grateful to have, you know, had had what I had when I had it. And I'm always grateful for what comes next. And I think that's a, that's a key piece in life is just, you know, to be grateful for what you've got and uh, keep moving ahead and looking for new things to do. And then test, and, you know, and test yourself. Like I, I had no political aspirations other than I wanted to see if we could do the right thing, you know, by the community when I, when I went into the municipal politics thing. Um, I didn't know anything about it other than uh, some, a bit of a background of it. Um, but I didn't let that stop me. And I think, and the same I'm doing, you know, get my real estate license now, um, because, uh, I just thought it might be a great thing to try. So, you know, you can't look at stuff and be afraid of it and say, Oh, I can't do that. Never say that. Just 
get out there and give it a shot. And if somehow it doesn't work out, at least you tried. Yeah, it, that's the, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't top that. Just yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Um. Any any plans of coming to Florida? Like any cons that you'll be doing in Florida that you know of? I haven't been invited to any, but if you know anybody who's running any of them, give them a shout. Um, I haven't been down there for a while, um, but who knows? I've I've got a I've got a couple offers on the table. I won't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but uh, I may be down there uh, working on something actually uh, this year at some point. I don't know. We'll wait and see how that rolls out. Okay. Because, I mean, I would just love to meet you in person and say, hey, I, I talked to you. And now, hey, here we are. And um, it would be really awesome to, to, to make that happen. Because I've met um, – I've only met Robert Patrick. And he was in Orlando last year at a, at a convention. So oh, yeah. I got the chance to meet him. Yeah, I see, so I'm just... I see him and Linda quite often. Uh, and it's kind of fun because we do these conventions. Uh, and, you know, all of the old crew get together again and – have a few beers and hang out and we had a blast the last time we were in london um it was all of us together and uh and carrie elwes from princess bride and and a few others so we had a pretty good time in the bar at the end of the night heck yeah well hey i i hope whatever the project is it it gets approved greenlit you come down um i'll give you a heads up with it i'll give you a heads up if it does Awesome. Thank you. I, I would love to meet you and just shake your hand and say, I shook Peter Kent's hand. That's another one off the checklist. All right, brother. All right. Thank you so much and uh, have fun over in Tokyo. And I'll send you the link to this afterwards. If you just want to listen to it, play it back, share it, whatever you want to do. I will do. share it. You got that. Thank you, Peter. I really appreciate it. All right, Eddie. Cheers. Talk to you later. Have a good night. You too.